loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm your host, Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that can come from loss. Today, I'm welcoming Reed Peterson. Reed's the founder of Grief Refuge, a mobile app that's a daily companion to people in grief. Reed's biological father died in 2006, and his stepfather died in 2016. After losing both father figures in his life, he sought support through community grief counseling and support groups. After realizing comfort and solace could be provided to grievers more consistently, he made the Grief Refuge app to provide support on a daily basis. Reed lives with his wife, Jessica, in Santa Barbara, California, and he spends his free time pondering life at the beach, hiking trails in the mountains, and spiking volleyballs on the sand. Welcome, Reed. Well, thanks, Cheryl. I just want to say as a fan of good grief and a respectful student to your work, I'm very honored to be here, and I look forward to what gets created in this conversation today. Oh, thank you for that tremendous compliment. I really appreciate that. Um, because as you may know, uh, when people are in deep grief, they often want to overhear, not engage. Um, and so you, you do an app, I do a radio, uh, a radio show, and um, it's good to share our opinions about each other's work, you know, and our, and our resonances uh, it keeps us all encouraged, yes? So thank you for that. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you. I want to start, obviously, we're going to talk about the app and what's on it and what supports how you came to choose to do the things you did. But of course, it doesn't make sense entirely unless we talk about your own loss. Uh, it's, it's so incredibly rare that someone comes to doing this work in any way without their own loss. So can we start with kind of your own navigation towards uh, doing this work and, and um, trying to contribute to the, the grief sphere? Most definitely. Yeah, I think I'll start kind of where the intro left off. So I have a stepfather, Warren, and he died. He battled multiple myeloma for eight years. And when he died in 2016, I was actually very surprised about how I found myself to be grieving. What surprised me the most was how painful and how lonely my experience felt. And I was completely surprised because, as you mentioned in the intro, 10 years earlier, my biological father passed. And I also grieved him, but it was I came to learn such a different experience between the two. And when I reflected on like uh, losing Warren and he also, he also died, I, I would argue quite young. He died at 62. Hmm. And when he passed, as I reflected on our relationship, I realized here was this wonderful man 
who showed up as a father figure very early in my life. He was, I was three and a half when Warren entered um, the family. And he just embraced me as his own. And throughout, obviously through childhood, I didn't really have much awareness. But as I became a young adult and I studied psychology, I would, I would, I would reflect on our relationship and I realized Warren was kind of this very solid teacher of unconditional love for me. He was there to just be my support and, and care and love for me and listen and offer wisdom. But I kind of had to seek, I had to seek uh, advice from him. He wasn't going to just preach it to me. Mm. And so that was one of the dynamics in our relationship. But after he passed, I, I really reflected on uh, so many times the memories. And I realized, ah, oh, there, were, there were a lot of things that I felt like I really took for granted in our relationship, especially when I was an adult. And so I think that contributed to a lot of the loneliness, the isolation, and a difficult grief journey that I went on. And... Um, and then, you know, I'll share a little bit more, too, that as, as I worked through my grief with Warren, I realized more grief that perhaps I had repressed or didn't accept came up regarding my biological father. Mm. And, and there's a lot there because my biological father had a lot of challenges in life. We'll, we'll put it nicely. And so when... I started realizing this. I also felt a lot of grief here. I was 10 years later, but also recognizing like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to work on reframing the, the story that I hold between my dad and I. Um, and I don't know how far you want to dive into that, but. Well, I do want to dive a tiny bit, but just because I think it's such a helpful message to people, what your first thought was. Um, because not, not all people share their first thought, but, uh, you know, I've read an article you wrote, I've heard your story, and you do. And I think that's just really helpful for people to make more room for however they first react to a, to a loss. Could you share that? Yeah. No. Are you asking in regards to my biological father? Or? Yes. Yes. Yeah. And we'll, we'll intersect the two, but okay. uh, you were just talking about um, when, when your um, uh, chosen father in a way, or stepfather, as some people say, uh, died the contrast between the two was really evident gotcha. um, in the sense that, you know, he was really there for you. Mm -hmm. um, and so I can imagine that that put your first reaction to your biological father's death in, in kind of a different uh, framework right yeah. away. Yes, it did. As a matter of fact, when, when my dad died in 2006, I actually... I almost had like energy illuminating for me of joy and it w now I would call it relief related, uh, definitely relief related grief. And w when he died, I held this perspective of my dad's suffering is now over. His suffering has ended. And my dad was an alcoholic 
And he battled with alcoholism, I think, from the time when he was a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, from, from the adults in my life who knew him at that such a young age, he also had a father who was an alcoholic. And the rumor or the story is that my dad really started abusing alcohol like around 16 years old. And so um, he struggled with that. And then my, my dad also served in the army and he went over to Vietnam and um, he did some very, um, he did some very dark things uh, mm-hmm. and came back, you know, uh, combat wounded, um, purple heart and feeling like um, definitely feeling sensitive to not feeling um, valued or respected for how he served his country. And so um, he also dealt with PTSD and, and just had a lot of bitter, strong, bitter feelings about not feeling cared about um, as a, a contributor to society. You, you know, that's such a, uh, an extremely common picture. I'm, I'm reading a book right now about how trauma lodges in the body and how we try to escape it and how we can't. <laughs> so that's kind of a perfect storm you're describing that, that um, he had already some vulnerability from childhood, then he goes to Vietnam, then he's traumatized by that, then that doesn't get, he doesn't get held in that, um, which of course was really common after the Vietnam War. And then it, it just goes on from there, huh? Yeah, and, and it just goes on from there. And um, at knowing that Warren entered my life uh, at such a young age, um, my parents divorced actually right after my younger brother was born. And um, I mean, bless Warren, he entered, he, he entered in a relationship with my mom <laughs> with three little ones, my older sister, myself, and me. And uh, he fully embraced us. And, and um, but coming back to my dad, uh, we continued to stay in touch because he didn't live far. And, you know, through the divorce, there was visitation, of course. Um, I lived with my mom and uh, we would spend weekends with my dad. And I just remember actually sometimes being scared just because mm-hmm. it felt like such an unknown as a child um, to spend time with this man. Absolutely. And as I've described in perhaps the article, I think that you read regarding it, um, he was very standoffish. He was very reserved and um, didn't really communicate emotions at all. Um, in fact, I, as an adult, he never hugged me. He shook my hand. And um, part of that, you know, might have been the culture because I grew up in the, the Midwest. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but part of that was him. That was just kind of, uh, he had some very strict, solid boundaries. And um, I spent a lot of my young adulthood trying to, understand who this man was and how I could connect with him because I'm, I'm a highly sensitive person and I could kind of feel that vibe from him and also um, just got confused a lot because I also recognized in many different instances in our dynamic together that he trusted me more than he almost trusted anyone. What a load for a child, huh? <laughs> 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 yeah, in my in my adult relationships, especially with uh, psych- psychology professionals. Um, by the way, I, I studied psychology, and, and my wife is a psychologist. 
a lot of people say, you know, Reed, you're pretty complicated. And I'm like, yeah. And, and I, you know, part of that in humorous and joyful ways, I, and I think I need to thank my dad for part of that complication. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we get on a, for me anyway, getting on a path to, um, to try to be self-reflective, change as I need to, and all of that, um, that doesn't come from nowhere, you know. <laughs> that comes from trying to figure ourselves out, is doesn't it? It sure does. <laughs> so, you know, the the statement I was struck with was um, a statement you thought to your father, who was then dead, of course. Um, you finally pulled it off. Uh, I think is what came to your mind. And of course, I'm aware from from deaths that happen after that kind of story, um, you've had to grieve the person before they die, in a way. Um, I don't know if you were aware of that, but probably there was some of that going on. Um, that that you know he wasn't available, so there's a loss there. That uh, Francis Weller says um, one of the gates of grief is is um, the loss of what should have been but wasn't. Yeah, that's very insightful, Cheryl. And and you're right. At the time that I was experiencing it, I wouldn't have been able to name it. Um, I, I wasn't even really paying attention to what grief meant at that time in my life. But now being a little bit more experienced and wiser and being able to reflect back on that, you're absolutely right. I, I was grieving the loss of what I really wanted or what I wished we had together. And then... Um, and then also his physical death. Mm -hmm. I, I've noticed in my own life uh, that my perspective on loss in my life changes with each new loss. Uh, you know, so I moved a lot as a kid. I never saw that as a grief event, but it was, <laughs> right? And it took subsequent losses to realize, oh, this is the experience of loss. You know, this is grief that I'm that I had, um, and then I learn more all the time since I do this show about what that looks like. So for you, it looked two very different ways, uh, and one opened up the other, opened up your perspective on on the previous loss. It sounds like. Yeah, I I think you've described it as accurate as it can be described. Thank you. Absolutely. So then you keep going forward. You know, 2016 to 2021 is not some decades and decades experience, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's relatively short. So something sent you on a course to actually give back to the world of grievers in a relatively um, compact time. So how did that come about? <laughs> Remember in the introduction, those many walks pondering uh, at the ocean shores? <laughs> yes. I would say uh, that is the sum of all the walks on the ocean. It, you know, it's interesting. I, I, studied, I studied a field of psychology that's very unique. It's transpersonal psychology. And when I was in graduate school, I was actually in graduate school at the time that my biological father passed. I was really intending to be a professor. I was kind of rolling the dice thinking that transpersonal mm. psychology had become more mainstream and I could be a professor at, you know, prestigious university and teach spiritual and transpersonal psychology. And it just didn't pan out that way. Mm. And, and so 
years later, tying back into my, my Greece story and walking the shores here of Santa Barbara, just reflecting and pondering, you know, what's next, I started to, you know, I started to feel a calling, essentially. I don't know how else to describe it, but I would yes. have those moments of looking out into the ocean and I would think about my degree and I would say, well, I'm not wasting it, of course. I never feel like an education is wasted, but I'm like not utilizing or applying those direct skills. And I'm like, what's important in my life that I could tie in those skills to? And I started really thinking about my own grief journey and then thinking mm -hmm. about like a connection of uh, being providing more support. Such a familiar story. And before we head to the break, which is very soon, um, I just feel that, that that's a great moment to share just a tiny taste of the website because it seems so related to what you're talking about. So let's let people hear that the voice of your, of your app just for a minute before we go to the break. Has anyone ever told you that your grief doesn't have to be this way? Has anyone told you that you don't have to live this way? That you have this choice and right now you're choosing sadness over joy. It's pretty salty when your grief is misunderstood, judged, or unaccepted. It's almost as if you had a choice in the matter of the person you lost and the person you loved so deeply. It's almost as if you're in the wrong for feeling the way you do. But where is there room to feel sorrow? Where is there room to live with grief? Grief gets judged as something negative. Grief gets judged as something that should go away. Grief gets judged for being around for too long. When has grief recovery or grief healing ever successfully worked this way? If grief is lived in a way where it's judged and time-stamped, how easy it is to feel shame for having grief. But how unhelpful it is to live this way. There's a belief that grief has a purpose of being a teacher. Yes, it's painful and it's a way to look at life through a different lens. Often the view is more compassionate. Often the view is more empathetic. When you're in grief, it's easy to question, is it worth it to live this way? 
And where are the people who tolerate grief? Where are the people who listen without judgment? Perhaps the grief can be expressed and understood in this way. To live in grief is a choice, but it's only a choice. There's no judgment, no expectations, and no shame. To live in grief is a process. The heartaches, the pains, and the suffering, all encompassed as unexpressed love, all encompassed as a continued longing to be with whom you've lost. Grief, it lives this way, without judgments or any time limits whatsoever. So uh, I'm going to admit that at the beginning of that, I got slightly nervous. You know, because at first it seems it seemed like you were saying we can choose to be happy, uh, and that is a message people get all the time. And some people can actually. I've I've encountered a couple people over the seven plus years that can, but I I really appreciate that being called right from the beginning. Let's come back and talk more about that because it seems like the most important concept. You know, let let grief do grief, (laughs) let it happen. So we'll come back in a minute and talk about that. And listeners, you'll find links to my website and social media at the Good Grief page at Voice America. My email list too is there and a a link to buy my novel, An Ocean Between Them, etc. And to find Reed Peterson and his app, you can either go to griefrefuge.com or look for the app app Grief Refuge at the App Store. Be back soon. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. What sets apart voiceamerica.tv from the other video content providers on the internet? Choice and flexibility means that you can host your video content live or on demand on the main voiceamerica.tv channels through your own branded media player or your own private TV channel. We support multiple media formats, so all of your video content can be in one place. We offer a number of advertising and video packages. For more information, visit voiceamerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. Be sure to like the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel on Facebook. You'll find great health tips from the experts. Find out more about your favorite shows and talk back to our team. Search Voice America Health or click the like button under the player today. This is Good Grief host Cheryl Jones. Whether you're in grief, crisis, deep loss, or transition, working with the right therapist can move you forward like nothing else. That's why I'm happy to be sponsoring BetterHelp. Their user-friendly platform connects you with a therapist uniquely suited to support you. If you want to know more, follow the link on my host page or go to betterhelp.com slash goodgrief. That's betterhelp.com slash goodgrief and receive a 10% discount for the first month. 
with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is your host, Cheryl Jones, and I've been talking with Reed Peterson, developer of the Grief Refuge app. We'll get into detail about what's available on that app in a minute. But um, that experience of you being drawn to walk by the ocean, and of course, you were kind of lucky to be near a nice patch of beach down there in Santa Barbara. I know that yes. beach somewhat. Uh, that that first you're just drawn to do something, and then you find it soothing. And then if you keep doing it, often something comes out of it that you couldn't have planned in your head, right? Um, and and it's a, it's a good um, example of that, that over time it evolved into something you thought would help other people. Yeah, it it's certainly did. And, you know, there are pieces of it too where there, I have this desire to honor, you know, honor the legacy of Warren, my greatest teacher of unconditional love. Um, there are pieces of it that I want to honor my dad, Donald, for his contribution, bringing life to me. But at the same time, it, it, there's just, I was listening to an inner voice that I felt like it was uh, larger than myself. Mm. That, that resonates because there's a different quality to decisions made from that place. It's been described many different ways. But it isn't um, cognitive and linear in the way that, you know, if you're studying for a test, you're learning information. It seems to me, the way I describe it for myself is it comes from the gut up instead of the head down. Absolutely. Yeah. I kind of feel like um, it's definitely in that center piece of my body. Sometimes it resonates like through the chest and in my heart. And sometimes it is more lower abdomen and in the like the gut intuitive part. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and then um, I want to say you have so much available on your app and quite well organized, which is really, really helpful to grievers. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it can't be complicated, right? Exactly. <laughs> it has to be pretty simple, but that is a ton of content um, that that you have, and um, I'm I'm interested in the details. How long did it take you to to create all that? Because um, it's a lot and wonderful. Well, I so appreciate the compliment. Thank you. Yeah, it it has been a labor of love. Um, there's been a lot of investment financially, and there's also been a lot of investment in time and energy. And it's newer, so it's not necessarily bringing in a lot of revenue either. <laughs> so I'm kind of right. like, like, okay, yeah, uh, keep showing up, Reed. You know, this is, uh, you know, I keep telling myself when I sit down to create a new audio musing, uh, which I call the Daily Refuge, and, and those come out every day. But when I sit down to create a new one, 
I often think of, I think it's Zen, where it's that uh, term, chop wood, carry water. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For because sure. I, I just have to keep coming up and uh, keep coming up with creative ideas. But um, it's also a blessing, Cheryl, because I, I carve out time in my day to enter creative space. And that's really important to me. And I, I feel like it has a voice in our conversation today because I, if I could advocate for, for anything um, for grievers who are struggling is, is to find what feels creative to them and let that process flow. It could, mean, it could mean a billion different things to different people, but creativity is so important. And I know that for many people who are struggling with their grief process, they just don't feel motivated to do anything. And so um, if there's anything that comes to mind with creative, that, that is creative, just give it a couple minutes, you know, and, and then For sure. see where it is there. I, I think of grief itself as a creative process because we don't know where it's going. Uh, it has some parameters, like if you're, if you're a visual artist, you learn how to draw, but that doesn't tell you anything about making a painting right <laughs> so right. um in some way i feel as if um that's part of why creative activity has such um impact in grief and even something like walking along the ocean the ocean's never the same you don't know if you're going to run into a dog or uh, you know a couple or you know a boat out there <laughs> i mean it's it's kind of immersing yourself in the unpredictable but gently Mm -hmm. uh, and so for me, it was, you know, music and putting my hands in dirt. There, are, It seems to me that most people in grief, not the first few months perhaps, but eventually are drawn to do something that doesn't make a ton of sense to them at first, but they just feel like they have to do it. Um, so I think we might be talking about that a little bit too. Yeah, that's very well said. And I actually want to thank you for speaking to grief as a creative process. I actually have never thought of it that way. And I'm kind of making this connection where um, I'm actually, you got me thinking about judgment, Cheryl. And how do you go from creativity to judgment, Reed? Well, I'll explain. <laughs> <laughs> I'll explain because when you said that grief can be a creative process in itself, you got me thinking, I'm like, oh, how interesting. So many people judge their own creativity, you know, if, especially if they make something that ends up being physical. Yes. But then I also witness so many people judge their grief process. So that's Absolutely. how I got thinking about judgment. Absolutely. And, that, you know, the other aspect of that is there is a moment for evaluation, but it's much later. You know, yeah. if you try to evaluate while you're doing it, <laughs> It, it doesn't work well for me, I'll just say. Um, I'm with you there, Cheryl. <laughs> you know, you kind of have to let it happen and then see where it goes. And then say, okay, what's the best way to say this? I'm thinking about the novel that I wrote, uh, which was absolutely uh, connected to my own grief experience, even though it's a novel. And how I had to just like get it out there and then later say, huh, what works? What doesn't? Who can read it for me? You know, uh, I, I couldn't have done that while it was getting out of me. Mm. And, and maybe that's an aspect of what we're talking about, too. 
And may I ask a question about that process? Absolutely. Would you say that grief was writing through you? Or how would you describe when when the words came out of you? So uh, for a few years after I started doing the show, um, I had a persistent thought that came from the gut up. <laughs> As I described, I want to take my message to a broader audience. And the first thing I thought I ought to do is write a book. But I couldn't write a linear book. I was, I was not capable. <laughs> Whether I'll ever be capable, I can't tell you. But I was not then. And then I had this other also bottom-up thought, well, maybe if I made up the story. Maybe if I told the story through characters. And so it was that kind of evolutionary process. Then I wrote it. Then I got the show. So I had to, I didn't have to, but I put it aside. You know, then I had to come back to it. It was a long, long, long process. But it was, it was more an expression of I have things to share that maybe would help somebody. Mm. Um, not n- not my pure grief, but this, you know, the heart of this show and what we're talking about together is grief is really painful. You have to you have to agree to feel pain to go through it. Otherwise, it turns into things like alcoholism, right? Um, or um, being stunted in some way. Um, and moments come where something comes out of it that's very beautiful. That's the heart of this show. Hmm. So it was more that moment where something came out of it in terms of the novel. Does yeah. that does that connect for you? Because that's what your app is too, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. I, and I'm. It's so beautifully articulated. And 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 yes, you know, the app wasn't. I like how you explained. Uh, you couldn't necessarily. You write non. You said you couldn't write nonlinear, right? Or couldn't write linear? Which one was it? <laughs> I couldn't write linear. Like yeah. I, I thought in my head, I should write a book about the transformations of losses, and I could talk about you know my guests, and I could you know whatever it would be. I couldn't think it. I had to follow the breadcrumbs. Yeah. Well, I tell you what. You know, originally, I started thinking because I've always wanted to teach and you know that's a broad term or title but I started thinking I would follow a more traditional route I would lead facilitate groups and perhaps facilitate a workshop or a retreat somewhere here or there um, for certain aspects of uh, types types of grieving and I I did try that I tried providing uh, online support groups and I I found it for me just to not be as creative as what I needed to be. And that hence sprouted the uh, app idea. Yeah, the, the evolution that you then look back on, right? Oh, mm-hmm. that's how I ended up here. <laughs> I'm constantly surprised. I'm still surprised. I'm with you there. Yeah. <laughs> but I want to talk a little bit, and, and we may run out of time and have to come back to it, but let's talk a bit about what is actually on the app. You mentioned the Daily Refuge, and there are lots of them. I, I um, spent almost a page in my notes um, writing down some of the all of the titles of them. Oh, wow. And uh, you know, some were so obvious, and others were not so obvious. Like your most reach, recent one was Thirds. 
Yeah. That was very intriguing. So I listened to that. You know, there's there's things like constellation, and then there's maybe some things that are more um, linear or or understandable, like memorials or letting go. You know, things that any griever will will know what you're talking about. But um, that that requirement to come up with a daily um, depth dive into an aspect of grief that's a lot it is yeah well you know i was saying you're sharing some of the titles and i'm like yeah it kind of sounds a little random huh and um no no not random just um various just so many different aspects yeah i try to i try to keep it diverse because here here's the truth you cheryl as a user of the app i'm never going to know the full story of your grieving process or your grief journey um, and, and I never will. And I can't speak as if I know that. So when I create a daily refuge, an audio musing that gets shared every day, I delve into some of the deeper understandings of what grief can bring to people. Um, sometimes I get inspiration from a book I'm reading. I, I'm feeling you may resonate, Cheryl, but I tend to read more books about grief now than I ever have in my life. And um, <laughs> well, tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> your your novel is next, by the way. <laughs> oh, thank you for that. <laughs> and yeah. then, and then, um, obviously, conversations I have. Um, I have a lot of wonderful, deep conversations with people who are sometimes lost in their grief. Uh, these are what this is what they say. I, this is not me labeling them um, or people that um, I've found the other side of of you know, darkness, et cetera. So I, I, I try to, I aim for diversity is what I'm trying to say when I, when I create these, these audio musings. And just before we go to the break, I'm not going to leave the listeners into, in, in a mystery about this one called Thirds because I really liked it that a third of your friends would um, be right there for you and able to accept and, and listen and not presuppose and a third would just be the same as they were before and a third it would be completely mismatched i think that's a nice way to talk about um the natural outgrowths uh once i was doing a cancer group and one of the um one of the participants people were talking about uh how people were missing them you know it just it was disconnected and and they felt hurt and misunderstood and she said i'm not having that experience since my cancer diagnosis and i said really because i'd never heard that before and she said no my mom died two years ago and i got rid of everybody who couldn't be there with me (laughs) so let's go let's go to a break and then come back and talk more about what's on your app um the sections on your app and how you think about them uh Listeners, you can go to weatheringgrief.com to find everything about me and the Good Grief Host page. And to find Reed Peterson, go to griefrefuge.com or to the Grief Refuge app. Back after the break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Healthcare has been a major part of news stories today with one thing that has been consistent 
inconsistency. Both healthcare providers and patients have to work around and get used to a constantly changing set of rules and issues. Nurses have historically been left out of this decision-making. Listen to Once a Nurse, Always a Nurse, exploring the world of nursing with host Leanne Meyer. Health professionals, we invite you to share your ideas and experiences while listening to experts in various areas of nursing. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health & Wellness. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back to Good Grief. I've been talking with Reed Peterson about his app, Grief Refuge, which is a great resource in lots of different directions. And we've, we've you know, taken a dive into the daily refuges. Um, and of course, it's been popping up every morning for me because I signed up. Um, and so that idea of being, uh, of not having to be proactive, that seems helpful to me. You can always not listen, right? But um, but the something just turns up, and maybe you want to listen. Um, but you can listen to all the ones that that you've created over the time you've been doing it. But let's talk about some of the other aspects. Um, reflections. Um, it it seems to me that's something you're you're developing over time. Is kind of people's stories. Is that fair to say? Yeah, that's very fair to say. And regarding reflections, it's another section of the app and it's audio narrated stories. And I did get feedback from a group of uh, what we call them the text-based beta testers. They said, hey, if the story is shared from a, a voice that identifies as female, please have a female voice narrate it. And so I'm going to be hiring my wife. <laughs> <laughs> is she making you pay her? <laughs> I, we'll, we'll work out some kind of compromise. <laughs> Quid pro quo. <laughs> but yeah, I, I you know took that um, took that feedback to heart and realized, oh yeah, it, it would be probably a good idea to have at least different voices on the app as for narration rather than just mine. But um, Reflections in itself, yeah, it, the intention is to have like a, uh, for lack of a better word, I know this, this sounds a little bit um, untruthful in grief, but kind of like a, a, a comprehensive darkness to light type of story. Um, the intention is to help inspire um, the reflection stories. And those take time to develop. And I've uh, solicited some... Um, submissions for some stories because uh, I think what you're alluding to Cheryl is that there's not as many stories in the reflection section as there is the daily refuge of course that will grow over time Um, you know as you've mentioned earlier it's a lot of content so (laughs) some areas I got to focus and some areas unfortunately get left behind 
interestingly, you, me, and one of your reflections have in common the illness that our person died of. Yeah, my my wife right. died of multiple myeloma as well, which was a totally different thing when she was uh, sick. Mm-hmm. You know, she died in 1995. There's been a lot of change in that in that cancer world since then. Um, but you know, it's good to have the specific, and then it's also good to see how that intersects with what I would see as patterns right? You you can't skip ahead. You have to feel it usually. Most people have to feel their grief and then move forward to the place where they can say, yeah, it's going to always be with me. I'll always have lost that person, but I am, I am moving forward. Yes? Yeah. And so then you also have a journaling section, and mm-hmm. I noticed you have some prompts there, which I find for myself so helpful to be invited invited to talk about a particular aspect, or you know, to kind of um, have a starting point. Was that part of your intention? Yeah, it was. I was realizing that um, specifically who whom I attract uh, in life as far as having conversations. I I noticed a lot of people experience a lot of guilt and the grief that they feel. Different aspects of it. So when I I realized there's a lot of ways to journal. And so in an app, I I thought maybe to help categorize some of the emotional experience could be a simple process to prompt an app user who's grieving to start entering in some of their own journaling. And so, yeah, the journal section has, it looks like 10 different options to select, such as uh, worry, sadness, loneliness, peacefulness, et cetera. Um, joy. There is even joy in the journal app. Um, well, you know. I'm, I resonate with that. Yeah. I, I got so shocked by that aspect of grief in, mm-hmm. you know, in early grief for me. Wasn't expecting that. <laughs> right. Yeah. And um, yeah. And so there's just, there's space, there's space to sh- uh, share more, put down more of the thoughts, etc. in that journal section. And then intentions and my grief journey, uh, two other sections that are interactive. And I could imagine people would would just skip over those parts right at the start, but over time be able to engage more with them. Yeah, Do you I think? think. Yeah, I I think you're spot on on that. And I'll just say uh, quickly about the intentions section of the app. You're right. It's something that when a user first looks at it, they're probably gonna be like, oh, this isn't really resonating with me at this moment. But however, it's there as what I would call a resource. And mm-hmm. what it does is it helps, you know, it helps give you a focus or it helps bring you to the present if you need it when you're perhaps recognizing you're really challenged right now. And so it, it's a focal point in a way. And mm. so there's, you know, I think eight different topics right now, but uh, as an example, one is just how to create sacred space um, because uh, I come from the philosophy that grief, uh, I agree with you, Cheryl, grief, um, one can highly benefit by feeling um, all the feelings that are related to their grief experience. And I trust that when in sacred space, it's probably going to be a more, 
natural, for lack of a better word, process um, to navigate that? You know, that, that sort of intersects with uh, when you brought up guilt. Um, I've thought a lot about guilt and grief because it's almost a rule. Uh, I felt guilt earlier, not when my wife died, but it was still a grief process. Mm -hmm. uh, I had kind of, kind of dealt with that by the time she died. But to me, it's, it's really uh, directly connected to the sense of being out of control. Wouldn't we rather feel that we did it wrong than to feel that it's, that it's random and we have no sense of control, but it has a real negative uh, uh, outgrowth. So that sense of maybe people use the app to give some structure to their grief so they don't feel quite as out of control. Oh, this person knows this territory and, you know, I just have to keep going. And, you know, I can imagine that dealing with the, with the aspect of grief a bit too. I mean, of guilt. Hmm. That's well said. Yeah. That, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah. There, there could be a potential form of framework if that structure is needed, but however, it's more, it's more there, um, when it just needs to be accessed, right? It's, I'm not prompt, you know, you got me thinking about stages of grief, Cheryl. So I'm like, I'm not going to prompt any app user to do step one. Now experience right. this. <laughs> um, and so I, yeah, I, I appreciate you saying that. that, that it's interesting. I, I find, uh, I take the opportunity to to tell this story whenever it comes up that I interviewed Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's son, Ken mm -hmm. Ross. Uh, beautiful man, and I asked him about this stages thing because it it isn't the way I experience grief. It's not the way my clients experience grief. And he said, "Oh, I can explain that. She she was pretty new to the country. Her English was a little inadequate, and she went to the dictionary. And stages was as close as she could come to what she later might have thought of as uh, experiences." Mm. Isn't that a strange accidental overlay on the course of understanding about grief that happened from the, then to now? <laughs> so yeah. I always like to I always like to get that in. No, it's not going to go in order. Uh, and it's that, had quite a powerful outcome, such an influential quite, outcome. And, yes, um, and and not the way she talked about it. If you actually hear her speak, or you know. Not the way she talked about it. Maybe there's a slightly more or more linear pattern when people are preparing to die, but <laughs> grief doesn't really act like that. And I think that's. Um, but to think all the parts I'm experiencing here are are normal, you know, right. whatever it is at the moment, it's all part of it. Yes. Yeah, I, I like hearing you say that. Yeah, all the parts, and if if it feels like a thousand different parts, it, it's, it's normal. Yes. I like to say, because I, I, again, I've mentioned earlier, a lot of the people I converse with, it, it seems like there's a lot of guilt associated in their grief and there's also a lot of judgment. And mm -hmm. so in judgment, there's this concept of right or wrong. And so I often say to them, I of, often always affirm them, you're, you're grieving the right way. <laughs> <laughs> yes. We have to counterbalance that message, don't we, Reed? Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, that's, honestly, that's just a heightened uh, example of something that, that goes on around everything. 
mm-hmm. you know, there's there's a a, a binary <laughs> way of thinking about most things in Western culture. Let's say broadly, yeah. uh, am I doing it right? Am I doing it wrong? And to me, that becomes really critical in grief because there is no way to do it wrong, and people are left kind of without a paddle there. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they don't know. Tell me how to do it. You know. Right. <laughs> I can't tell you, but I can tell you that the way you're doing it is fine. That's as yeah. far as I can get with that. Yeah. Until it's, you know, very self-destructive. I mean, there are things that that are problematic, but it's not the grief that's problematic. Mm. <laughs> you're familiar with that, obviously, circling yeah. back to your, to your biological father. Right, yeah, kind of circling back, yeah, that's well said. Hmm. Uh, so I'm curious, you know, you are obviously creating a platform that tries to accommodate um, many different experiences of grief so that it's useful to a large cross, cross-section of grievers, mm-hmm. right? But before we leave for the day, what would you say, would you say those beach walks were the most um, helpful thing to you or for you personally, um, you know, because we sort of went from the start to the finish in a way, mm-hmm. what, what have you found the most useful uh, personally in your grief? Um, hmm. That's such a great question. I think the first thing that comes to mind is, yes, I highly resonate with the ocean walks. And just for me, that that has been sacred space. And I don't know for certain because I haven't experienced it. Locally, there's a, a tribe called the Shumash Indians. And I just have this intuitive sense that I think at some of these beaches that I've strolled, uh, Traditionally, a lot of indigenous people would spend time grieving there also. Mm, Um, It's just kind of this sense I get. And so in a way, there's kind of like um, almost sacred connection too. Um, Mm. I'm not part of the Chumash tribe, so I'm not saying I am. But um, there's there's an energetic quality that really resonates. But in addition to that, Cheryl, to answer your question, I also feel like the writing I noticed that when I sit down and I write a daily refuge, that is part of my grieving experience too. That's a beautiful place to end for the day because what I'm going to say about that is you followed your impulses and they helped. Mm, for you, you it was writing in the ocean, right? Um, mm-hmm. For me, for me at first it was singing actually, even though obviously I'm a uh, big talker. <laughs> But, you know, so follow your impulses. We're going to leave it there for today. And I want to thank you for being with me. Again, you can go find Reed at griefrefuge.com or the Grief Refuge app at the App Store. Next week, I'll have Corey Marie. Her podcast, Who Killed My Mother, is set to be released as a memoir. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. 
Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.